Well, during Lent this year, we are going to be particularly focusing on Matthew's Gospel. Hopefully, for those following uh, Graham Leo's daily reflections, you'll find Sundays are a good companion to what you're reading uh, each day. But especially today, because if you're following along, you would have read this passage yesterday. So not only do I have to uh, try and uh, bring something to life um, from this wonderful text, but to compete against Graham's uh, wonderful reflection yesterday. <laughs> there, are, there is a, a connection to it, and Graham will pick it up. <laughs> but by the time you get to Easter, my hope is that you'll be feeling like you know a whole lot more about Matthew's Gospel but particularly how to apply it in your everyday life and to what's going on in the world around us. One of the challenges with this passage is that every first Sunday of Lent, we get either Matthew, Mark or Luke's version of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. So I know for many of you, this is a familiar text. There is temptation however pun intended that with familiar passages we might treat them a particular way but I think there's also another specific temptation in this passage often when I'm doing a daily devotional saying morning or evening prayer like the good priest I sometimes am or reading a passage in a book and I read the first few lines of scripture and the passage is familiar, I automatically want to race ahead or go to the next bit because my brain says, Stuart, you know this bit and you know what it means. The danger in doing that is that by racing ahead to the next part or racing to somebody's reflection on it, I'm not giving enough space to allow God's word to come to life afresh for me. And I'm not open to the new revelation that might be possible as I read that passage, even though it might be uh, for a number of times. One thing that I like to try and do to read a familiar passage is to read it in an unfamiliar translation. It's so easy to find different Bible translations these days. You don't need shelves of different physical Bibles like I do at home. You can find them on apps, on your phone, or you can visit a website like Bible Gateway and pick whatever translation takes your fancy and no cost to you. So I would like you to do what I say and not what I've done a couple of times this week and just read Graham's reflections. Read the actual passage as well. There is another particular temptation in uh, this passage that I think is unique to these words that we read and hear. And that is to generalise Jesus' wilderness test as something similar to the kind of temptations that we face in our own lives. As if the urge to eat that last piece of chocolate in the fridge is on the same level as a meeting up, meeting up with Satan 
after you haven't eaten for 40 days. These are not ordinary tests, even on the level of the most devout Lenten advocate. I think it's easy to fall into the the temptation because temptation and testing are so much of our present reality. I don't know about you, but I've had a pretty full-on week. So it's nice to be able to say something like, I know Jesus went through temptation and testing, so he knows how I feel. But there is way more at stake in these words that we hear today than we're all tested, Jesus went through it, so we'll all be okay. This is not about us. This is about the character of God. When we make it about us, we lose the ability of this passage to be alive in our world today. We personalise it by allowing it to excuse the hard stuff that we're going through And we can develop what I like to think is dodgy theology that in the end everything will just work out okay. When the reality of the broken world in which we all live is that sometimes, in fact most of the time it seems, everything is not okay. But when we allow this passage to be about the character of God, then for me at least, the passage really comes alive. Before I take the focus off us, I want to make one more point. If you come to an Ash Wednesday service, you'll usually find the same Bible reading from Matthew's Gospel read year in, year out, from Matthew chapter 6. And... I normally leave a little bit out of this passage. Now, before you judge, it's legitimate to leave that bit out. What I leave out is Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer. And the reason I leave it out is because later in the service we're going to say the Lord's Prayer. But what we see as we read the whole passage through and if we're using the version of the Bible that we read from uh, this morning... Matthew puts it like this. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. At the very beginning of this prayer that Jesus is instructing his disciples, he says, pray then this way. The prayer isn't lead us into the time of trial because Jesus did it and so can we. Jesus knows that we can't handle this stuff in our own strength. But we're always going to try. And so we should always be praying that God would protect us and we would protect ourselves and each other from as much trial as we possibly can. So that when we are actually going through the trial, we can remember this truth that we need Jesus. 
We need the Holy Spirit. We need God. We need the Trinity at work through the people of God to lead us through these dark times. We are not designed to handle it alone as Jesus did. And for me, that is the big point of this passage. Jesus did come to handle this alone. This is about the character of God made flesh in Jesus Christ. It is not about us, but because of this, it is actually for us. I know that Lent can seem like it's all about what we give up or what we take up, but the truth behind the giving up and the taking up is that Lent calls us to focus not on what we're doing, but to focus on Jesus. We need to take the focus off ourselves. Who amongst us could truthfully say, I don't focus enough on myself? Maybe you're more holier than I am, but I know that I focus way too much on myself. And a little less focus on myself is always helpful. So let's see what Jesus is doing in this passage. I think we find, amongst a lot of other things, one significant truth. Throughout the scriptures, the wilderness represents a place of preparation a place of waiting for God's next move, a place of learning to trust in God's mercy. And the number 40 that appears also appears throughout Scripture. For 40 days and nights, Jesus remains in this wilderness without food, getting ready for what comes next. But as this ends, he's met by the evil one. And it's interesting to see what Jesus does. Jesus refuses to turn stones into bread to satisfy his own hunger. But before too long, he will feed thousands in another wilderness with just a few loaves and fish. And he will teach his disciples as we hear in the Lord's Prayer, to pray for their daily bread. Jesus refuses to take advantage of the fact that he's God by hurling himself down from the heights of the temple. But at the end of his earthly ministry, he trusts in God's power from the heights of a Roman cross. Jesus turns down the devil's offer of political leadership over all of the kingdoms of the world and instead offers the kingdom of heaven to all those who follow him. Jesus' commitment to overcoming everything that defies God and all that is ungodly is so great in order to, do, to redeem God's beloved creation that there will be no compromise with evil. 
isn't it comforting to know that the character of God, in God we see that there will never be compromise with evil. And that no compromise is for our sake. I find it particularly comforting because I know I make compromises all of the time. Sometimes they work out for good and sometimes they result in an awful mess. Here in this passage, we see how Jesus calls out the way that, the, that evil works in our world. Those impulses that we have of power, of prestige, of celebrity, these are all false gods. They are and they can be seductive. And they definitely are dangerous. I wonder what it means when you hear this truth that God refuses to compromise. And the reason for that is for our sake, for your sake. For me, it means that when I have full-on weeks like this one, I know that my identity as a beloved child of God is secure. And despite what others may think of me, or even what I might think of myself, God is with me. God will never leave me. And I am not alone through the trial. I'm also reminded to thank God that I'm actually not strong enough to endure it alone. And I need, that I not only need God, but I also need my church family to get me through. Perhaps it means something similar, or maybe something completely different for you. But know this truth. God loves you. God will not compromise with evil. And God is always good, faithful, loving and compassionate. And that's why God sent God's very self in the person of Jesus so that we might have eternal life and that we might know that the kingdom of God has come near. Let us pray. Lord, as the church's calendar turns our focus in on you, help us to really look closely at your word, your actions, and your character. We thank you that you have made us in your image, but we also thank you that you've made us to rely on you and to rely on each other. We thank you for your awesome power, and we thank you for your sacrifice of no compromise, that we might be secure in the knowledge that you are always with us. Help us to be aware of this truth as we continue through the many trials that we will face and continue to face throughout our journeys. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.